in my day job. For eight hours a day, I'm an IT guy. And so on a few weeks ago, we uh, were looking for two positions. So if you know somebody who knows these specific um, applications, I don't want to bore you with all the acronyms. So tell me later if you know somebody. Uh, so we, we interviewed this guy. And um, he was so good. We've been interviewing a lot of people. But we interviewed this one guy, and he was so good. Um, we all sat in the room, and we give him the, like the, the rundown. And I was like, oh, man, I, you better know this stuff. You better not make up stuff. I have his, his resume, and I'm going through each one. How much you know this? Tell me when it broke, and how did you fix it? And all these hard things. You know, we spent like a full hour, five of us grilling this one guy. But he did so well. He was such a warm person. He had a, such a warm personality. He was really friendly. Uh, we, he was just there. He knew all the stuff. Every question we threw at him, he knew. He, you could tell he had experience. We were like, oh, yeah, this is the guy. And we've been interviewing quite a few. And finally, this one guy, we're like, okay, this is it. We're, he, we're so excited about him, we almost offered the job right after the, the interview, after a whole hour. And so, you know, it's like we really connected well. Um, and then a couple of days later, we didn't hear anything. Third day, didn't hear anything. And then finally, we discovered with HR that we're not going to hire the guy. We're like, what? We spent all this time interviewing this dude, and he, he's not getting hired. And so HR told us over one word, he didn't get hired. And, um, and so what happens is that during, I didn't know that HR do this. Now I'm going to be more aware when I apply for a job. They run a background check on people. Wow. Okay, so anyways, uh, the guy was at the interview, he was in, uh, in an interview with the HR first before he came to interview with the, all the geeks with us, right? And so he was in, uh, the HR people uh, interviewed him, and I believe one of the questions they ask is, have your driver's license been suspended? One word changed the whole situation. He said, no. Well, HR ran a background check. It's so recent that his, his driver's license been suspended, and they just couldn't believe that he just flat out lied over a driver's license suspension. I don't think it even mattered in IT, right? I don't care if you're licensed. Just get to work, do your job. I don't, it doesn't matter, right? However you get to work, but somehow it's a huge difference. And um, HR said that anyone who lied, they, and they can catch them lying like that, they cannot hire them. It doesn't matter how good they are. We're like, wow. What a disappointment. Over one word, yes or no, right? He had the option when HR said, have your license ever been suspended? He could have said, yes, but I'm working on that. Yes, you know, I was drunk. I don't know, whatever the reason was. I'm working on it, trying to get it cleared, you know, whatever. Or it happened six months ago, a year ago. I, don't, I think we still would have hired him. I don't think it was a big deal. I, I don't know the technicality of it, but they said because he lied. It was just straight, whether yes or no. And he just said no, and they found out it's a yes, and it's just done. So we're still interviewing, looking for people, because we still can't find anybody. Um, and that got me really thinking, and me and the other guys were talking about the character flaw. Would I trust him to have my back when I need him? Would I trust him to, that his yes will be a yes and his no is a no? I don't think I would, knowing that he would flat out lie that, that way. And you see, that is such a small thing. Like, oh, really? One word? You're just going to kill a guy over one word. But yes, one word is such a big deal because it's more than just one word. It's a character flaw. And so these past uh, last month and this month, and for, for four months, we're going to look at one verse from the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Let's read this out loud together. It's a, 
as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Sounds so simple. But the breakdown of that is that Paul, the, the person who wrote this letter to a church in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus is a, a heavily commerce church, just like our world here, like Southern California. There's a lot of things going on. The marketplace is out there. A lot of people traveling in and out, a lot of tourism. A lot of things are hap- is happening in that city. And so the church in that city is living this lifestyle. So Paul is writing to them. He said he is in prison writing. First of all, he's in prison writing to a group of people who are not in prison. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And so the difference there, Paul is saying that there's two parts to this. There's life, right, to live the life worthy of the calling. And so there's the difference between life, the way we live, and, the, and our calling. For us, in our today's world, this is being a Christian and living out your Christianity, Right? The word worthy in the Greek word means to have equal balance. And so what he's saying is that your talk better be the same as your walk. He's saying that whatever you call yourself to be, you better act that way. He said you need to live a life that way. So it's worthy of the calling that you have received. As believers in Christ, we're called to live a certain lifestyle, right? But you know, in, in all of that, he lists down four things. He says, be completely humble. For the past month, we looked at what it means to be completely humble. And then he says, be and gentle. And so the phrase there is, be completely humble and be completely gentle. So humble, we learned that it is the ability to experience all of yourself, the true self, right? Your good and your bad and your strengths and weaknesses. Now, what about being gentle? Does that sound like a good thing? In a different version of the Bible, the older uh, translations of the Bible, it says to be meek. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking meek rhymes with weak, and it's probably the same thing, right? Doesn't it sound like that? Like, oh, man, meek. And, and, but really, the, the actual word, the Greek word itself, it means power under control. Now, let's take that topic and take that idea and apply it. God calls us to have to be people who have their power under control. To be gentle is to have power under control. And so, but the first question is power. What are you talking about? I don't have any power. So I'm going to challenge you, ask you a question that you probably have never been asked before. Turn to the, someone next to you and tell them the one most powerful thing that you could do. Um, you know, the word meekness in, in the Greek uh, translation, it means a, a power under control. It, used, it is used to describe a colt or a horse, you know, a wild horse that is tamed. That really gives a good picture, doesn't it? Or for us parents, a soothing medicine to calm a fever. You know, when your, fevers, your kid's fever is out of control, there's soothing medicine to calm it down. And so gentleness or meekness actually describes something like that. Something that's so powerful and so strong, but it's containing something. Does that make sense? And so we kind of funnel it through. And so we take that idea that Jesus says in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the what? Earth. What is he saying? In other words, he's saying that if you have your power under control, your life will be in control. A lot of us, we find that our life is out of control because we don't have our powers under control. The powers that we're talking about, I, 
I thought a lot about this, and I, I know you could probably come up with a lot more because you're smarter, but we only have three weeks to talk about it. Um, <laughs> the first one is what Denise kind of said, is our words, right? Our words are so powerful. I mean, I could tear somebody down, I could lift them up. I can destroy my kids. I don't even have to spank them anymore. I realize my power is so strong, I can make them cry without spanking. You know what I mean? And, and it's possible, even adults. There are people that you really don't have control over their words and they destroy people. Or there are people who have the understanding of how powerful their words are and they can lift people up. They can inspire somebody. Somebody who is afraid to step out and go do something, you can inspire them to overcome their fears. All from words. Just noise that comes out of our mouth. But a lot of times we don't think about the seriousness of that power. So the second power, we'll come back to this. The second power... I think it's our emotions. I know it's a, it's a general term, but emotions, um, psychologist says that there's four basic emotions. There's happiness, fear, sadness, and anger, right? And some people, some other psychologists would come up with a couple more, but I think those are four basic um, emotions. So we take those emotions and we think about making them under control. Now let's, happiness. If happiness is not in control, what do you get? Somebody's on drugs, right? Because you cannot be happy all the time and like, woo, way up there. Like, okay, whatever you're taking, you need to calm down, right? And then how about um, sadness? There, it's a possible, is it possible to control sadness? Yeah. Is it possible? Now, the last one, anger. Anger is such a dangerous thing. I know as a dad, I never knew that I'm an angry person. Until I have three kids, oh my goodness, just pow! I don't like, where did that come from? And it just brings it out of you because, and if I don't have that under control, it's very dangerous for everybody in my family. And um, so we'll talk a little bit more about that. So the third thing um, is our thoughts. I think those are the three most powerful things, and we could probably list more, but those are the top three most powerful thing we can do. You know, with our thoughts, we make plans, we make goals. For We call it vision. People with the vision, they know where they're going. Nothing could stop them, right? Somebody with a really strong bent towards a goal in life, you can't stop them. You just either help them or get out of the way. But with our minds, we are able to create, we're able to build, we're able to accomplish. It all starts in our minds. And what if we have our minds under control? Because there are things in our minds that we don't have control. And you can see how crazy we can get with our minds. So let's go over those again. Um, but, you know, the, thinking about control, I found something that you may like. How many, how many of you have seen one of these? You know what it is? A, a what? No. A thermometer. Isn't that weird? Who, you, who has one of these? You pull out your phone. Oh, you know, it, I could tell like the whole week. I don't need to know this, right? But I have one of these. This is a thermometer. What is the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat? What's the difference? Control. Control. What's a th what does a thermometer do? It reacts to a temperature, right? So if the temperature rises, this thing reacts, and it goes higher. If the temperature drops, it'll go down, and it drops. That's all it does. But God has called us to not to react to the situations, not to react to our life, not to react with our words, not to react with our emotions, and not to react with our thoughts. 
And the Bible tells us that it is possible. Now you may think, how is it possible? I know what, you know, I, I could tell you from experience, when I'm about to explode, it's not possible to stop. I'm just going. I'm on my way. I know something has to happen. Somebody has to die, and then I'll stop, right? Bleeding or something, broken, something. But there is, it is possible to stop. You know how? In our own abilities, we cannot stop. But with God, we can. Part of the way that we can stop, the part of the way that we can control is to understand what we have received from God. Imagine somebody in this room, let's say Angela gives me a Jamba Juice card because she's healthy and she wants me to be healthy. A hundred dollars Jamba Juice card. Woo! That's a lot of money. And so she hands me a, a hundred dollar gift card and it says, here Moni, I'd like you to have it. I said, well, thanks Angela. Hold on, hold on. Let me pull out my wallet. Let me pay you fifty dollars for that. Oh, 40. I only have 40. <laughs> I'll give you $40 for this $100 card. She says, no, you can't give me $40. It's a gift card. I'm just giving you as a gift. Oh, but, okay, maybe not 40, maybe 20. How about that? I'll just give you $20 for the gift card you just gave me. What is the problem? What's going on here? She says, no, don't give me any money. This is a gift. You're supposed to take it. And I said, no, no, maybe, maybe not 10. How about a dollar? I'll just give you a dollar for the card. You see what I'm doing? I'm trying to pay for a gift. The moment that I pay, even if for a penny, the gift is no longer a, is no longer a gift. What does it become? A discount card. That's all it is. I just robbed Angela if I give her a penny for a $100 card. That's what I'm doing. And you know we do the same with God. First of all, between us and God, God says, I will give you the gift for free. It's called grace. You don't deserve it. You need it. Don't pay me for it. And the moment we think that we could pay God for the gift that he has given to us, we turn God's gift into a discount. And the smaller our acts, the more of a discount, the more we rob God in that way. Does that make sense? Now, how does this apply in controlling ourselves? The way it applies is you have to learn to give the way God gives, something that they don't deserve. Yes, there are people who deserve your worst kinds of words that you allow yourself to say. But God says, how about you give them something they don't deserve? Grace. Not because they deserve it, not because they earn it, not because they can get it, because it's because you give it to them completely free. And with our emotions, Particularly anger. The Bible talks a lot about anger. If we just hold back and be gentle with our anger. The three things that we are most powerful at doing are usually those three areas that we, are, we have the most regrets, right? In your life and mine, I can think of times where I wish I could just suck the air out of the room and not say the words that, I just, that just came out of my mouth. With my kids, with my wife, with people in really close to me. And that's the tragedy. When the words just fly out of my mouth and I could see the pain that it has inflicted on people, I wish I could just say, let me take that back. Let me, let's just, just stop and take back. It's not possible. It's done. Our most re greatest regrets are usually in our words. 
in our crazy emotions, up, downs, lows, highs, whatever, and in our thoughts. You know, for some of us, we may look really timid, really nice, but who knows what kind of war goes on in, your, in our heads. We get fights into, with our people, with the people in our lives. We get fights with our enemies, all rehearsed over and over and over again in our minds. And we can replay it, we can rehearse it, we can practice it, and we get better at it. We get meaner at it, because in our minds we can do anything we want. But God says to take your mind and be in control of that. We'll look at that in a minute. So, in these areas, in controlling your words, learning to, to uh, critique instead of criticize. The biggest difference is uh, critique looks for what's, um, criticizing is lo- uh, looking for what's lacking, Critiquing looks for what is working. Critiquing look for the, pe- the positive in things, no matter what it is. Criticizing, looking for the negative. Imagine we do that for people in our life. Learning to be judgmental versus gentle. God wants us to be gentle. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should be- restore that person gently. The same word. When we go and restore someone who is living in sin, restore them gently. Yeah, we may not be okay with what they're doing, but we're okay with them. We can still love them. They say be, be hard on the sin and be soft on the sinner. Because we're all sinners. You know, in reality, we, we're all liars. We're all murderers in our minds. We're all adulterers in our minds. All these things about us. So there's no place for us to judge anybody. Um, Denise had posted this quote the other day, and it's just amazing that it's just while in that week that I was uh, doing this study, Eleanor Roosevelt said, great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. So learning to convey ideas instead of condemning people with our words could be very powerful. We could flip it upside down. Controlling your emotions. In anger, James says in chapter 1, verse 19, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Not don't get angry, but slow to become angry. Figure out that what you're angry about is the right thing. Let me show you something cool. A real one. If I pull the pin and go like this, we all better run, right? <laughs> we all better run. And you know, a lot of times for us, anger, I don't know about you, if my anger is like this. When I'm mad, pow, I'm going to just let it blow up everybody near me, everybody's close to me, including myself. We all get the feel of it. Pow. But you know, this could be a good thing. The stuff that's in here, the same material that's made for dynamite that's used for good stuff. Let me show you a, a video of how many of you have ever been to Mount Rushmore? That's one of my uh, bucket lists to visit Mount Rushmore one day. Take a look at this. That is humongous. I read somewhere that if the, these people were to stand, they're like 425 feet tall, if they were to actually stand, if the heads are connected to real people. Look, you see the little people at the top? 
That's amazing. You, did you know that Mount Rushmore was, um, it took them 14 years to make, and 90% was done, uh, was carved using dynamite. The same material that's in this. It's made from granite. We know how hard granite is, right? And our kitchen has granite, whatever. It's, that's hard stuff, but that's how it's made. And so we can even have it explode and kill people or create awesome sculptures like that. Same material. I think our anger is that way. God wants us to have anger for things that are not right in our life. Injustice, all the things that's going on in the world. We need to stand up and speak out for it. You mentioned earlier about strong vision to accomplish something. Mm -hmm. As I recall, it's been years, but I, I think I remember that it was a private person or, or yes. people. Mm, one guy, yeah. Who had a vision yes. to do this. Yeah. Along the way, he lost a lot of things, a lot of all the money. And yeah, the, the story is pretty amazing about the guy who created that. But that's very true because the, the, the last thing we're talking about is thoughts. This guy had a dream. He saw the mountain like, well, this is just the ugly nub of rock. He said, you know, I think I could make something out of that. He had a picture and a vision. And, you know, in our thoughts, it's so powerful. We may not think it, but whatever we think, whatever we envision in our minds will turn into our behavior. However we believe in our brains, it's going to come out in our action. And a guy who has this kind of vision, or anybody who has any kind of vision, and so the question is, what vision do you have in your life? Some more uh, poignant. And so in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, it says, We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. How about that? That our thoughts are not to be running wild in just all sorts of crazy ways and doing all sorts of stuff with our minds, but to take it captive. And make it obedient to Christ. So do your thoughts please God. In your thought life, do you please God? In your plans for your life, do you please God? And in your knowledge, I know a lot of us, we know a lot of things. But do they please God? Do they bring honor to God? And do your imaginations bring honor to God? <music> 